Welcome in to Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman, and this is going to be a very different podcast. No guests, it's just me, because I've got thoughts and I need to get them out of my head. Uh, this is a personal topic, this is a global topic, this is a complicated topic, and I will, uh, yeah, I will apologize in advance if at times the thoughts are sporadic and not optimally organized. I've tried to take down some notes. But the reality is I'm sitting in our apartment alone as Rachel is coaching a solid core class. And I saw a tweet from one of the news organizations uh, that is covering global events. And now you can see many of these tweets that Israel has bombed a building in Gaza that houses the Associated Press, Al Jazeera, and a number of international news organizations, as well as private offices and private homes. They did give warning to evacuate the building, so hopefully there were no injuries and certainly no casualties. The Israeli government has released a statement saying that Hamas was operating out of this building. That's why they gave the warning and then struck because they needed to disrupt the Hamas operations. I would simply ask this, was there an imminent threat? And if not, what does more damage? This bomb, which is going to dramatically impact negatively the coverage of this on a global scale or whatever Hamas is trying to do unless they were imminently about to bomb Israeli civilians. This is still early as I'm just hearing about this news and have had these thoughts percolating and I'm recording this. Um, so ongoing on the details, but if it were to be determined ultimately that Israel was targeting journalists in any way, that is a war crime. And that would add to a list of potentially ongoing war crimes, which kind of started this latest round of violence going back and forth as Israel is removing people from their homes in the name of a resettlement or whatever they're trying to call it to try to justify it. But at the end of the day, they are in territory that is not recognized as theirs by international law, and they are removing people from their homes. And by the way, they're doing it during Ramadan. And the ongoing situation in the Middle East, in Israel, in Gaza, in East Jerusalem, in Palestine is something that deserves an immense amount of attention. And I have a lot of thoughts on it. And I just need to get them out of my head. And as I sit here in by myself in our apartment in front of this microphone, I can't guarantee that the thoughts I'm going to say are going to get out into the public. I guess if you're hearing them, then I've decided to go ahead and publish. But to sit here and just let them stir internally and be pissed off didn't seem like a good funneling of energy especially when this is an issue that I do think I can help someone, maybe even someone's, understand a little bit better. That is because I'm Jewish. I grew up learning about this conflict, but I've come to realize that I, I grew up learning a shaded, if not you know, fully slanted version of this conflict. Obviously, I learned about it in school on some level, but certainly in Hebrew school, where, of course, because of the nature of where I was and who was involved, it was always painted as Israel good guys and Palestinians bad guys, for lack of a better term. I will say that the temple I grew up going to, uh, a reformed temple called Temple of Israel in Greenville, South Carolina, I think generally did a good job. And this is a credit to uh, our rabbi at the time, uh, 
the late Jim Cohn, uh, as well as, I guess, the parents and whatever oversight board that they had, because it was parents who were teaching the classes, to differentiate always between you know, Arabs as bad and the people uh, and the bad actors in Israel and Palestine who were causing violence on that side as bad. They did a pretty good job of that. But there's only, of course, so much understanding that you're going to get uh, from children. Uh, and children here, a relative term, it could be anything of trying to explain it on the level of an eight-year-old to the level of, a, a I guess, a 14, 15 year old, uh, when we went through confirmation a couple years after our bar and bat mitzvahs. Um, and there was always a great job of highlighting programs that brought, uh, Israelis and Palestinians together and that that was painted as a good thing. That peace was always the goal. Um, but still when you learn the history, you can't help but internalize the fact that if you're going to pick a side, of course, we learning as Jews about these conflicts, we're going to mentally put ourselves on the side of the Israelis. I'm 31 years old now. My learning did not stop in Hebrew school. My learning did not stop in the public school system. It did not stop in college. It continues to this very day and will continue well after I've hit stop on this recording. And what I've come to learn is I've learned more about politics and applied those principles to, and I say politics, you know, global affairs, the whole, the whole thing, including uh, domestic affairs, right? Power dynamics is the, is the big thing I'm going to land on here, is that who has power matters. And this is why this situation is so complicated so fraught, and I think misunderstood by a good many of well-intentioned people, but also easily manipulated by people who just are ignorant or refuse to accept that this could be even complicated. There are really three actors here. There is the Israeli government, there are the Palestinian citizens being acted upon, and there is Hamas, a terrorist organization. And that making it of three entities, and if you want to include Israeli citizens, four entities, many of whom do not support what the government is doing, if not by poll data, etc., most of what of the Israeli population doesn't support what the Israeli government is doing, which is why, by the way, the Israelites have not had a government functioning in like three, four years at this point. They're about to have their fifth election because Bibi Netanyahu, who is a corrupt old racist who is completely motivated by power, hasn't been able to form a government in their parliamentary system where you need a certain percentage of delegates in parliament to be able to form and, and govern. So even though he's been prime minister, they haven't really done a whole lot. He's, by the way, wanting to be prime minister at whatever cost because his freedom is on the line, because he's under indictment for immense amounts of corruption. And he hasn't, and neither has any of his opponents, been able to form a government for four straight elections. And if uh, his opponent can't form one now, which is the ongoing point of where they are, then they're going to have a fifth election, which is the most likely outcome. So their government's a mess. 
And that's a backdrop to all of this that is going on. But whoever's in charge, which is Netanyahu and, and his government, um, and obviously there's a lot of military continuity, etc., like, they are committing war crimes right now. And that is a, like a full stop. We need to recognize that this is happening. And it's not just a thing that in the U.S., Jews or Muslims or people interested in foreign affairs need to care about. Everybody needs to care about this because you know that bomb that hit that building this morning? It was most likely made and paid for by America because our tax dollars, about almost four billion of them per year, between three and four billion, go to Israel for defense purposes. Is that good? Yeah, because. When Hamas fires missiles into Israel, there's something called the Iron Dome, which is one of the, if not the preeminent missile defense system in the world, and it saves innocent civilian lives. But it's not just for defense. Quote-unquote defense sometimes includes offense. And of course, Israel is in a precarious situation always. They are, for the purposes, and this will make more sense later, uh, for the purposes of this discussion, this part of this discussion, a Jewish state in the middle of the Arab world. And I don't know if you're new to this, but uh, I, I think that if you've like been awake in your life, you know that Jews and Arabs haven't always gotten along. So the need is there. And of course... Israel, as a state, the need for it going back to 1948, post-World War II, is always going to be tied back to that history, for those that don't know. Because this is important, and it motivates a lot of the people who will never move beyond this point, even though this point was after World War II, and is a lot more complicated and ugly for the rest of the world than they would ever care to admit. After the Holocaust, in which 6 million Jews died. Jews who did not die, who escaped concentration camps, often were not welcomed back into their home countries. One, they had nowhere to go. The ghettos where they lived, and most of them did live in ghettos, a wide, wide uh, number of them, where they were already on some, uh, by some measure, second-class citizens. If not, they were put there by the Germans when, when they came through. But the Nazis ultimately destroyed most of those ghettos, so they had no homes. And if they wanted to return to those countries, often they weren't welcome. That includes pretty much all of Western Europe. And when many Jews were like, okay, well... I guess we can't go to our homes in Western Europe. Let's go to the United States. The United States also put limitations on who could come. So instead, it's like, oh, well, what do we do? Well, Great Britain, colonial kings of the world, had, quote-unquote, ownership of this strip of land right by the River Jordan, right by the Dead Sea, that says, or that 
is home to as many religious sites and holy sites as you could possibly think of, including Jerusalem, the land of Israel, Palestine, home, again, not just to uh, the the biblical home of, of the Jews, but of Muslims, and includes many Christian historic sites. And so Britain, along with the the United Nations, newly formed, and the rest of the Western world, is like, okay, that's Israel now. But that ignores the fact that that land didn't just like pop out of the Dead Sea and magically appear. That land wasn't vacant. And it had been under control of colonial rulers since the 1500s. The Ottoman Empire from the 1500s till World War I, and then Britain from 1917 to 1948. Obviously, many wars have since been fought. But of course, wars have been fought. You can't just dictate, like, someone can't come in here and be like, oh, that's his home now. Like, no, 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 this is our home. This apartment that I'm sitting in right now. That's basically what happened in Israel. And so the, un- the, the need for Jews to have a safe home, I get, man, I was watching, or we were watching uh, Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy last night. And just a stark reminder of something that I remember hitting me so hard when I visited the Holocaust Museum here in Washington, D.C. a couple years ago. That entire towns were wiped out in the Holocaust. Sometimes the Germans would literally just walk in, and this is what happened in Rome. Walk into a city, walk into a Jewish ghetto, all aboard, on the train, to the concentration camp, to the gas chamber, and an entire Jewish community. And not like today, right? Not where you might have a Jewish neighbor here, there, whatever. No, no, no. Every single Jew in the entire city of, in this case, Rome, all of them, except for the very few who escape, are hidden somewhere. Dead. Sometimes it's a thousand, sometimes it's three, four thousand, sometimes it's twenty-five thousand. And these entire towns with rich histories, entire families, gone forever. And that's obviously and I remember it hitting me so hard. There was one town um that was highlighted in the Holocaust Museum and I, I stood there in this room of pictures for probably five minutes because the pictures reminded me of the pictures that used to hang in my my grandparents' house. Any of these people look like any number of my relatives. And they're all just gone. So it's not that I'm obviously unsensitive or desensitized to the desire for a place where Jews can be safe. But that was 1948. We live in a very different world now. And the another factor in trying to contextualize potential solutions here is as an American, 
I think that we have this bias that people can just live together. And in, for all of our problems here, of which there are many, we generally live together in peace. Sure. What black Americans, what Native Americans, what Asian Americans, what Hispanic Americans go through here is not okay. And I've covered, obviously, a lot of those topics in a lot of detail on these pods and how we could be better. And we need to be better, and we should be. And part of the reason that we should be and could be in America is because an African-American who's born here certainly is going to face structural challenges that have roots 400 years ago, but they have their citizenship, which means they should, by that very nature, have equal rights. In Israel, Palestinians who live under Israeli-controlled land, which, by the way, is not recognized as Israeli-controlled under international law, do not have citizenship. I called this apartheid on my Instagram feed the other day and had someone have the audacity to respond that it's not apartheid because they aren't citizens. That's a hell of a defense. It's an apartheid state. It's two different sets of rules based off of race. Point blank, period. Not as the, my last podcast is about citizenship here in DC. It's a pretty straightforward thing. People have to pay taxes, people are being affected upon by the laws. They should have representation. Why are Palestinians any different? The answer is they're not. And so the solutions you've often heard about start with the two-state solution. Well, it's like, oh, let's give them their own state. And that just seems like it's never going to be able to happen because Israel is continually taking more land, not less. The most recent conflict is a result of Israeli settlers empowered by, if not acting on direct orders from the government, I would, again, that, that part of it I'm not really going to get into. I would highly encourage a number of resources to uh, learn about the latest goings-on, whether it be from a, a respected news outlet, um, Washington Post has done great reporting, New York Times, Vox, all these, these types of outlets that do real hard news. Um, the Daily, I heard, had a great podcast uh, within the New York Times podcast on this that explained it all. I thought they did a great job with additional context on Pod Save the World with Tommy Rhodes and Ben v- or, uh, Tommy Vitor and Ben Rhodes. Um, so, but go there for the larger context of the most recent one. But Israel is trying to expand what is under their control neighborhood by neighborhood. So the idea that they're going to all of a sudden go into a room with Joe Biden or any other world leader, any number of world leaders, and be convinced that they should give Palestinians 
the land that they deserve, the Gaza Strip, East Jerusalem, etc., that's not going to happen. Then you have the one-state solution, which is where our American bias comes in. And it's like, okay, well, we just need to do like we do in America. Everybody gets rights. The votes happen. It, whatever happens, happens. But this is the problem. Going back to the foundation of Israel as a Jewish state, this isn't a secular area. From Israel being a Jewish state, quote-unquote, which is where I'm going to close in a second, to its neighbors being Arab states that have varying levels of rule by Muslim leaders, Islamic states. This is why it's so complicated. Is because not only do you have these different motivations, different factions, 500, 1,000, 2,000 years of history, about 60, 70 years of incredibly complex geopolitical history centered on Western powers inflicting their will and their control and their influence on this part of the world. But if you have people who genuinely believe that this land was given to them by God, how are you going to convince them otherwise? I don't know. But I do know this. The idea that Israel is a Jewish state does not and should not mean it is a home for only Jews. It should have Jewish values. Here's what I learned as a child and have taken with me. I'm not a religious person by any stretch of the imagination. But I always have held on to the identity of being Jewish and believed in the principles that I was taught because I think they make you a good person. Peace was always at the center of prayer, of lessons, of conversations. Obviously, you have the Ten Commandments, including treat your neighbor as if they were yourself. Treat thy neighbor as thyself. There's much talk and much prayer about opening your doors to welcome in the aggrieved. And by these metrics, Israel is not currently a Jewish state. Not when we talk about the government and the way it acts. Certainly there are many, many, many Israeli citizens who act accordingly, who are wonderful people, who are wonderful neighbors, and who, just like in America, those of us that vehemently opposed the Trump administration and the bullshit that Republicans have pulled for decades... As much as we don't want to be lumped in with what our government is doing, that's centering ourselves in a problem that's not us. So when people complain about, oh, well, you're, the language is so important. You know what you are? You're all lives matter. And if you push back against all lives matter, then you can absolutely check yourself on this. Because... We're talking about a powerful state actor with support 
from the most powerful countries in the world acting upon citizens who have no representation and have no power. Who are also terrorized by Hamas. Again, this third actor, chaos agent, who claims to be fighting on behalf of Palestinians, firing missiles into Israel, and in Israel's mind, warranting return fire with not nearly enough care or strategy to avoid civilian casualty. That's what we're talking about. And it comes down to those with the most power have the most responsibility. And that's why I'm so critical of Israel and the Israeli government. At the end of the day, in America, we had to kick Trump out and we have so much work to do to kick the people who continue to make these laws to try to suppress the rights of others at home and abroad, but specifically at home, whether it's their voting rights, a woman's right to choose, LGBTQ plus rights. We have to just keep fighting and kick these people out. And that's what Israel can do within its own borders, the Israeli citizens with this election coming up, right? But in the meantime, we talk about the bigger picture and the immediate mass violence that is happening. The U.S. has a responsibility to not worry about language policing and the fact that some people are more concerned with seeing if they can call someone anti-Semitic for being critical of Israel than actually attacking the problem. And they need to intervene diplomatically last week, yesterday, now. Whether that's pulling funding, whatever, sanctions, whatever it is. Israel's committing war crimes. And that can't be allowed to continue to happen just because they're an ally. That's not what we stand for. It's not okay. Being a good friend is not allowing your friends to do harmful things. It's not to not be an impediment for them to allow destruction, letting them do whatever they want. That goes in personal, and that goes all the way up to state actors on a global stage. And when the consequences are life and death, it is all the more important to step up and stand on principle. And as I said, Israel can't hide behind Judaism here because Judaism teaches nothing of what they are doing. And that way it is no different, no different than the bastardization of Islam by ISIS and others. The difference is that those are terrorist organizations operating in guerrilla warfare with no rules and no accountability. Israel is a government state actor with responsibilities under international law and needs to be held accountable accordingly. That doesn't mean you can't go after Hamas. It doesn't mean that it can't defend itself. However, going into Palestinian neighborhoods and kicking people out so far-right settlers can come in and take the land that they want, if you can't see the hypocrisy 
of that statement in the history of how Israel was founded, I don't know what to tell you. It's a state founded because people weren't welcome in their own homes. And now the government there is trying to kick people out of their homes. It's not legal. It's not moral. It's certainly not acceptable under any guise of Jewish values. So stop that shit. Because ultimately, ending all of this starts with desire to want to. Stop invading mosques. Stop trying to kick people out of their homes. And stop doing all of this, period. But especially during Ramadan. The holiest time in the Islamic calendar. Ending all this means that Israel is going to have to be the bigger person here, quote-unquote person, because they're the one with the power. And the party with the most power has the most responsibility. If you want to help, go to humanconcern.org slash Palestine-relief. Human Concern is a nonprofit providing medical assistance, food packs, and home repair, as well as temporary shelter to those in Gaza and Palestine. That's it for today. Uh, you can always hit me on Instagram at Craig underscore Hoffman. Uh, hopefully be back with a slightly more uplifting because good Lord, what could be less topic sometime in the next week or so. Uh, thanks for listening. Again, I'm Craig. This is Chasing Interesting.